It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, February 7th, 2018, and you're listening to God in Comics, where we celebrate every St. Francis Day with a special blessing of the animal man. On today's show, pets, super pets, and other comic book critters. We'll talk about how animals are portrayed in comics and what that tells us about how we relate to the natural world. So whether you're barking mad with cat scratch fever or sane as a lion's mane in Spain, get ready to let the fur fly with two party animal priests and one chow-loving chaplain. <gasps> Who's a good boy for listening? You are! You are! <clears throat> Anyhow. <laughs> and that's our show, folks. Good night. You know who I feel bad for right now? The people who this is the very first episode they've ever listened to of this show. That's right. And they're like, oh, we heard there's like substantive, like, he, you know, theological discussion on this oh, show. There will be. There will be. Um, no, it's, it's really deep on this. Well, that's, that's entirely possible, but I'm not sure that my intro, uh, <laughs> properly alluded to that possibility. Uh, anyhow, there was some brilliant, uh, turns of phrase. <laughs> there was. Yes. I'm your host, Jonathan Michikin. I am assistant chaplain at St. John the 23rd college preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I am the rector of Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line with me is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I am in Schenectady, New York, and I'm the rector of St. George's Church. Let's we're going to jump into our right into our recommendation. What I'm going to recommend this time out is a new uh, book from Titan Comics called Mycroft Homes and the Apocalypse Handbook. The art is by Joshua Kassara, but more interesting is the writer of this book, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all-time leading NBA scorer, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. With uh, Raymond Opsfeld, it says. So he obviously got a little bit of help there. But uh, nevertheless, he wrote a novel a couple of years ago about Mycroft Holmes. And I don't. this story is not the same as that, I don't think. But uh, apparently he already had some interest in the character. But uh, So if you're not familiar with Mycroft Holmes, you might be familiar with his more famous brother, Sherlock Holmes. Of course, Sherlock Holmes from the uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stories in the 19th century and Mycroft was a character in those stories and in three or four of those stories the way he's portrayed in uh, Doyle's stories is he's Holmes's older brother Sherlock's older brother and he is just as smart and and inductive uh, and deductive as Sherlock is if not more so but he's lazy about it he doesn't really want to put in the work to figure stuff out so that's sort of the way he's portrayed in those stories. That's not the way he's portrayed here. He's portrayed here as just being so incredibly brilliant that he's just bored with everything because everyone and everything is predictable, which is very similar, I would say, to the way that Sherlock Holmes is portrayed in the uh, BBC Sherlock series um, with, um, uh, I believe the actor's name is Engelbert Humperdinck. Do I have that right? Am I close? Uh, I, I'm close. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so, uh, uh, Benedict, Benedict Arnold or something like yes, that? Yes, yeah, yeah. Benedict. Isn't it Benedict Cumberbatch? It's uh, Benedict uh, Cabbage Patch, I'm pretty sure. Um, Dr. Strange. Yes, it is. Actually, that's his name legally now, has been changed to Dr. Strange. Um, Stephen Strange. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, you know, so there's some similarities with between the, that show and this. But this is sort of like a younger version of both Mycroft and, and Sherlock shows up some in the story, too. But it's really about Mycroft. And he is a hard-living, hard-drinking, womanizing, 
playboy just trying to find you know uh something that doesn't bore him uh with his huge brain and in the process finds himself in this uh, situation where he's conscripted by the british government to track down a set of blueprints for a series of weapons blueprints developed by a group of futurists and these are like it's sort of a steampunk story so these are like incredibly sophisticated weapons despite the fact that it's the 19th century and um you know if they get into the wrong hands it could you know destroy the world or what have you so there's it's sort of comic booky in that respect but there's somebody is trying to sell them and they need to sort of track that down and 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 get them which requires him to go to america uh, where he meets Lark Adler, a young woman with a rough past who is looking for the plans for her own reasons. And adventures ensue, and there are guest appearances by Jesse James, Queen Victoria, Jules Verne, Mark Twain, and a whole lot more. And it's just, it's such a great little book. Now, I'll warn people there's a fair amount of sex and violence and some language in it. So it's certainly not a book for children and probably not a book for everybody. But what I love about it is it's got that fast-paced, witty back-and-forth kind of dialogue. In, when it comes to television and movies and stuff like that, like I love like Aaron Sorkin's writing or like Amy Sherman Palladino or somebody like that. Or since this is a little rougher edge than that, you might almost think of like, um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but the guy who created and writes, uh, sons of anarchy, for instance, uh, it's a great book. And, uh, the, there's one story out now, Mycroft Holmes and the apocalypse handbook, but I think they are planning to actually continue the series and do some more with it. I don't know that for sure, but they have volume one stamped on the side of the thing, and they certainly left it open that they could. Uh, and it's, you know, it's very short, worth your time. Pick it up. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's Mycroft Holmes and the Apocalypse Handbook from Titan Comics. Yeah, it sounds like a great book. Before we get to our main discussion, I'm just going to go ahead and leave the room for a minute. I hope you guys don't mind. I'm really parched. I want to get a drink of water. But while I'm gone, Father Matt and Father Kyle are going to have a conversation that, I want to be very clear about this, was absolutely not written by me ahead of time. So I'll I'll be right back. You, You guys go ahead and talk. Hey, Father Matt. Yes, Father Kyle. Do you know who's unbelievably selfless, amazingly talented, and incredibly handsome? Indeed I do, Father Kyle. You're talking about Jonathan Michigan, our fearless co-host and international man of mystery. Right you are, Father Matt. And did you know that Jonathan became a pillar of virtuous manhood that he is today by reading The Living Church? Why no, Father Kyle? I was unaware of that. Please, do tell more. Well, The Living Church is only the best magazine out there. It covers all sorts of stuff, from theology to books and art to popular culture. You name it, TLC has it. That sounds quite intriguing. Tell me more. TLC covers news from around the Anglican Communion and the Episcopal Church, but it also covers ecumenical news, which makes it a great resource for Christians of all traditions and backgrounds. Great Scott! I bet you a magazine like that must cost a fortune. You would think so, but no. You can get a year of the Living Church every other week for just $55, or buy an online subscription for just $35. Well, no wonder Jonathan has such amazing wit, scintillating intellect. And world-famous humility. Yes, it's all thanks to the Living Church. Go to www.livingchurch.org and get your subscription today. Or check out the free Covenant blog at livingchurch.org backslash covenant. 
Uh, well, I definitely feel better now having had that drink of water. H- how are you guys doing? What did I miss while I was gone? Just chit-chat. Yeah? Anything Anything scintillating happen or <laughs> possibly scintillating? <laughs> you, you, so you all can't uh, see this out there in listener land, but Father Kyle very nearly just drowned in the water that he took a, a drink of right before I said that. So... Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so we're not always say potato. Uh, right, right. You say potato, I say skintillating. Um, <laughs> that also sounds sort of slangy too, doesn't it? Like when people used to refer to Cinemax as Skinemax, you know, like their programming is skintillating. Um, so anyhow. We're going to move on to our main topic today, which is uh, animals and super pets and so forth in comic books. I'm sure there are a number of animal lovers out there in listener land. There have always been animals in comics, um, you know, going all the way back to the great Western comics, right? They used to have, uh, you know, feature all sorts of interesting horses and so on and so forth. But um, (laughs) (laughs) why is that funny? What's funny about horses? I I don't know. (laughs) I grew up with horses. All sorts of interesting horses. There are a lot of background animals in Western comics. (laughs) Well, you know, some of those horses had families, I'll have you know. Okay? Deep backstory. Horses. Listen, horses are people, too. (laughs) <laughs> uh, should i ask a question or should we just like <laughs> let's just move on okay so what's what's the significance of animals in comics father matt i i think the significance of animals in comics is sort of related to the you know the importance that animals play in, in our own lives Human beings have always had very close relationships to animals. I mean, from our from our earliest days, our earliest history, uh, human beings have have worked very closely with animals, and so it's only natural that their way into comic books and and and, and, and fiction in general. Animals also just are enormously appealing to readers because of the deep affection people have for for their pets and, 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 you know, animals in general, you know, and I also think early on pets were maybe introduced into comic books as a way of lightening things up a bit after the kind of darker days, uh, you know, and, and the comic code was passed and, and, uh, comic uh, book pets and super pets sort of made things a little more lighthearted, a little more child friendly so I, I think they were kind of initially introduced probably for, for that reason. It was sort of the next step in the evolution of, of, of getting comics more youth-oriented. Yeah. You know, they first introduced sidekicks so that there's a kind of connection that um, kids can have with their sidekick heroes. And then every kid has a pet and the kind of, you know, the next step of relatability there. Hmm. Well, it's it's interesting to me that that there's so much. I don't know. This this may not be a route we want to go down yet because we haven't really talked about the pets themselves. But it's it's interesting to me how much animal imagery exists in in comics. You know, even irrespective of whether there are actual animals there or not. Like, um, just think about. I mean, you know, one of the one of the greats, right? Batman is named after an animal a lot of what's that spider-man spider-man uh a lot of uh heroes have animal connections or animal powers you know you have vixen who gets the powers of of animals you have animal man who uh basically they basically have the same powers um more or less 
then there's that what's that there there's that one guy that can like take the trait of two different animals and put them together oh well, wanna beast yeah um yeah he, he appears in animal man pretty both of those characters yeah so like those sort of those sort of characters that do it like real explicitly you have a period of time where wonder woman was talking to animals you know, it's just like, it just seems to be, there's like this fascination with animals that kind of comes up over and over again. You know, I wonder what that's about, really. I mean, that that is a fascinating point. I mean, I think there's almost like a, a I don't know, like a totemic kind of thing going on where, where it's like part of how human beings imagine power is to, is to observe it in, in the animal kingdom and to you know, to try to evoke that power for themselves through different characters that dress up like animals. I mean, ancient people, uh, primitive people still do that. They'll wear like a bull's head or, or, or a bird's head or, 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 or whatever. Most of the, many of the, uh, you know, gods of the ancient, you know, animistic religion certainly had animal characteristics and things like that. There's something mysterious about animals, too, right? Because they're the one part of creation that's sort of like us, but not, right? Like, they move around, you know, they they have certain characteristics that we do, depending on what kind of animal you're talking about, more or less of those. They sometimes have certain abilities that we don't, you know? Some of them are stronger, some of them are um faster what 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 have you and yet they're not us and so i can see wanting to kind of draw on the mysteriousness of that and to draw a certain kind of companionship from that too especially you know the kinds of strong relationships i mean you were already talking about the relationships people have had with their pets but that sort of like strong sense of companionship that you know even if i can't find another person who understands me or another person who will always be there for me. My dog will always be there for me. My cat will always be there for me. You know, what have you. I think the companionship and the friendship that you mentioned that people have with animals plays a very big part. Certainly the, the way in which many of the super pets, you know, are depicted in comic books. I guess that's the best term for them, super pets. And, and they're kind of like animal counterparts uh, 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 of the heroes. I mean, I think, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of these. Um, there's a surprising number of them, actually. Well, so t- tell us, name some of them for us, for people who haven't ever encountered them. Well, okay, so probably the, the most iconic is uh it's crypto the super dog you guys know crypto of course you know what i'm not sure about this maybe he was the first uh super pet to appear i could be wrong about that but um the, he's had a number of different origins over the years originally he was clark kent's pet on krypton and he arrived on earth and, and with, with him to kind of keep him company and, and grew up with him in, in, in Smallville. He looks like a white Labrador and he wears a red cape like Superman for some bizarre reason. <laughs> and it, I think maybe originally appeared in Superboy um, in which he was kind of like a, a canine sidekick to, to Superboy. But then many other kind of uh, spinoffs have, have, have developed over the years. There's uh, the Bat Hound. Ace, Ace the Bat-Hound. Yeah, Ace the Bat-Hound. You want to say something about Ace the Bat-Hound, Kyle? Yeah, Ace has gone through a couple of iterations. You know, he originally started out as a dog that Batman and Robin found on a case. A a gentleman had been kidnapped, and it was his dog. And the dog had a what looked like um, a diamond shape in his fur. And um, I think that's kind of somehow related to how he got the name Ace and uh, and the dog turned out to help Batman and Robin out on the case and then the man lent Ace to Batman and Robin as uh, you know ongoing 
assistant in their war on crime. And Batman outfitted him with a, a bat mask so that they, no one would see the diamond shape in his fur and then be able to pinpoint his relationship with Bruce Wayne. But he, you know, he was present very heavily in the 1950s and early 1960s and then kind of faded away. And they revived him a little bit in the 90s. I remember that um, that he came back around and he became a companion of this hunchback gentleman who built all of Batman's gadgets named Harold. And then the cataclysm event happened in the late 90s and Ace disappeared. And we didn't hear much from him, but now... He's sort of kind of back in Batman comics. He's now named Titus. And uh, he's Damian Wayne's dog, uh, Batman's son. And uh, he's one of a a little gang of super pets that Damian Wayne has, which um, includes a cat whose name escapes me at the present moment, the bat cow, an actual cow that has a bat um, shape in is hide. No. And also, no. Stop. That yes, kid, no. <laughs> believe it or not. And uh, Damien's other pet is Goliath, who is a supersized man bat. Oh, oh man. Cool. Is Titus a different character from... There was a wonderful story in the Batman Annual in mm-hmm. which um, Batman rescues a dog that was used by the Joker as one of his vicious kind of creatures and it and and the dog is like completely untamable and you know they were gonna have to put it down but alfred takes it in and it, it it just sort of over many years uh tames this dog and and finally presents it to uh to bruce wayne as a as a christmas gift uh, yeah yeah is that this is that titus yeah that's titus as far yeah. as i remember yeah it was a great little story in the annual yeah. You know, it just occurred to me, I, I can think of a lot of animal sort of examples from DC. I mean, Aquaman talking to the fish and uh, right. Wonder Woman's weird kangaroo things that she had, you know, for a while. Storm the seahorse that Aquaman rides. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, Supergirl had a, a cat at one point. All these, streaky. All, streaky. Thank you. Yes. Um, Streaky the super cat. Streaky the super cat. So like all of these different DC examples, I'm, I'm having trouble. The only Marvel one I can think of is a, a couple of years ago, Captain Marvel had this cat who um, turned out to be some kind of alien creature called like a flurkin or something like that, you know, and she had no idea until the cat got pregnant. So the cat was sort of in the background for like, 60 or 70 issues and then all of a sudden the cat gets like pregnant and gives birth to these like alien creatures <laughs> but yeah are there marvel examples i'm just not thinking of yeah the, i guess falcon know, falcon would be you know but red wing right I mean, right there's right. currently a whole book called the pet avengers or something or there was recently the um, pet avengers and but these super pets have made a big comeback recently, and um, the team was Lock Lockjaw from the Inhumans. You know the giant bulldog-like creature with a fork on its head, like Black Bolt. Lockheed from uh, Kitty Pride's dragon. Right. Although that's and, not uh, really. Does that count as a? I guess it's sort of a pet. Yeah. I mean, he's I not mean, really the, the a pet. Frog, but... The frog guy that was he was like a little frog that became Thor. Uh, he's um, or what's what's that pig um, the the spider Spider Man pig what's Spider Ham yeah Spider Ham there Spider-Ham. it is yeah. Peter Porter the spectacular Spider Ham so this is yeah, the but... this is the thing about this this is the thing about this topic like I know you know we want to talk about how important everybody's pets are to them and all this kind of stuff and I I I you know I I get that like I grew up with a lot of animals I grew up with um, horses and dogs and cats and all sorts of things and uh, you know i loved all those animals when i was a kid but like it seems like animals sort of show up in one of two ways like either they're like this serious sort of badass mysterious something or other or they're just ridiculous (laughs) you know there doesn't seem to be like a lot of middle ground 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to me, though, that there, there, there is this resurgence in interest. I mean, yeah, they are ridiculous and they're silly and they're not part of uh, comic books that really want to be taken seriously for, like, gritty adult uh, readers, which is why they disappeared for so long. But I, I don't know. There's, a, there's almost a, a rediscovery, a little bit of the silly and of absurd or the innocent in, 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 in superhero comic books at least so, uh, in recent years um, that there's a move away from trying to make uh, everything you know as, as kind of gritty and realistic as possible to uh, rediscovering some of the fun and absurdity in some of these silver age stories and, and, you know, I think that's reflected in, 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 you know, the reappearance of characters like Crypto and Ace the Bat Hound and, and even Marvel kind of competing with the pet Avengers and, and, and things like that. So there's an interest in rediscovering this kind of stuff. And recently, even uh, Astro City has gotten in on it. Astro City is, is uh, a book currently published by Vertigo that's kind of famous for playing on kind of classic comic book tropes and superhero tropes in particular. And in, in their recent issues, they, they've explored the idea of the super pets in, in two different stories. The first one was a one-shot story about Nightingale and, and Sunhawk, in which they, they sort of follow their cat who sneaks out at night and ventures, uh, you know, fighting crime and, and joining with other pets in the Astro City universe. But then there was another one that was actually a story arc, which I thought was really well done, um, in which they introduced a new character who, who's sort of ridiculous looking, but adorable in certain respects. Uh, who's, uh, his name is G-Dog, which is short for good dog. And he is like kind of like a, um, a, human, a human kind of looking corgi. In corgi? Is that how you say Cor- it? Corgi. 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 Like Queen corgi. Elizabeth's dogs, the corgis. Oh, yeah. The G-Dog looked exactly like my dog. My wife ended up posting something on Facebook when that Astro City thing came out and said, look, our dog has become a superhero. <laughs> oh, I missed that. I missed that. But, um, yeah, I, I thought this story was interesting. So the, the story basically is about this guy who's like a, a criminal who breaks into a home and steals this, you know, amulet and it gives him, it gives him powers unbeknownst to him. And he takes it home and he bonds with his dog. So he's like this walking kind of intelligent dog who fly around and has all kinds of powers and stuff. But the dog's character is pretty selfless and noble. And in bonding with his dog, it has this ennobling effect on him. And it turns his life around. He gives up crime, and he becomes a hero. And it's all because of his dog, you know? This, this good dog that, that changes him, humanizes him. And, and it really becomes this turning point in his life. He meets, like, a nice girl. And, and, and uh, it's a pretty... Uh, beautiful story kind of a tearjerker in a lot of ways these animal stories kind of have to be and it shows kind of the human is humanizing power that owning pets can have on on people it could soften them and and kind of bring things out about them that really make them better people teaches them to love in, in, in a lot of ways or make them worse people it can also make them worse people it, it could. It could. <laughs> I don't know. I just think, you know, sometimes the way that we sentimentalize pets is really strange to me. Like, I mean, I get that, you know, people love their dogs. They love their cats. You know, I've certainly had dogs that I really love. But, well, just because you're in... I mean, it's sort of like when people say, well, you know, like, children are so innocent. Well, no, they're not. They just haven't developed the capability to show you how evil they are yet. You know? <laughs> Um, you know, (laughs) some of the, some of that stuff is just funny to me because like animals are, I mean, they're, they're, they're great, but they're like basic, they're instinctual creatures, right? Like they learn what they're trained to, uh, you know, trained to learn. Um, but you know, I find, 
uh, before I, you know, completely get the wrath of every pet owner that's listening to us. Um, I, I know. I think I think you have a lot of people yelling at the, the <laughs> computer. Right probably like, true. Well, you know, I mean, this, uh, some, think... some sometimes as long as I'm getting this all off my chest, you know, like sometimes this like <laughs> just drives me nuts. Like when people, um, you know, we'll have people do this to me sometimes. Where like I'll talk about my children, and it's, it, this is especially galling because you know you guys know I have children with special needs, so I, you know it's sort of a it's hard to explain my kids in general in ways that people don't, you know, don't understand. But, you know, so people, even people with children, like don't really get what I'm talking about when I talk about my kids, but like people without children just have no clue at all and will attempt to relate it to pet ownership. Like, you know, you'd be like, man, I was up all night. Like, you know, uh, like you might be up all night with your daughter because she's sick. And somebody would be like, oh, man, I was up all night this one time with my dog, you know. And I'm like, no, man, that's not the same. (laughs) Like, I know you love your dog. I know, like, your dog is very special to you. It's not the same. (laughs) It's an over-anthropomorphizing of animals. That's right. Well, and more than it more than anything else right yes well, I, and I know, it, but it, it also is it shows the emotional uh space that pet ownership fills for a lot of people yeah um, you Fair know a lot, of, a lot of people who you know are unable to have children not married or, or don't don't have a partner don't you know maybe they project a lot onto their pets but they fulfill a lot of really pretty profound emotional needs that people have and, sure you know I, I have to roll my eyes when people like say oh well like my, my my pets are you know the same as your children well no no but i respect the fact your pet is important to you and that they're you know important in their own unique way but um but yeah no i mean it People take it to a, a ridiculous and absurd. <laughs> sure. Well, and and you know, I I'm I'm not really trying to dismiss it because I mean I you know I've certainly seen especially when I was doing parish ministry and I would see with elderly people how much um, joy they would take from pets. There's a certain way in which that points to our our inadequacies, you know, as as human beings. Like we you know we don't reach out to the elderly we don't want to touch them we don't want to be near them well you know animals don't care about that stuff so like you know your dog or your cat's still going to love you even when you're 87 years old and uh you know don't have other people coming around they're still going to be be there for you so i i definitely get that but i i I find in comics this is what i wanted to say before when um, father kyle was pointing out the anthropomorphizing for me, the the stories about pets or whatever are less interesting to me than stories in which animals become stand-ins for humans. And so, like, I'm thinking of, like, something like, you know, we've talked about, of course, at length when we had Brian Glass on about uh, the Mice Templar, which is a story where mice absolutely are a stand-in for humans, right? Like, there's no... <laughs> Uh, um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's what they're there for. Or actually, Saga is another interesting example because from what I understand, Fiona Staple really likes drawing animals. <laughs> and so uh, she's made, even though a lot of these characters are like, technically they're not animals, they're aliens or something. But like, you know, it's like, come on, that's a that's a, a seal that walks and wears a shirt, you know. Um, <laughs> um, but it's it's the same sort of thing. It's like, it's interesting to me that sometimes in order to get a better sense of what the human experience is, we take something like an anthropomorphic animal story to do it, you know, like something about the fact that, so even though Mice Templar, you could tell the whole Mice Templar story with humans, I suppose, but because it's told through animals, Instead, it gives us a certain distance that allows us to to see it more, see ourselves more clearly. I think. Yeah, I mean, the whole anthropomorphic animal story has been a big part of literature. You know, the wily fox, the wise owl—they represent things about human beings, and sometimes they're used metaphorically in, in that respect. I mean, I think one of the most effective 
and understated uses of, of that. It was in Art Spielman's uh, Mouse, in, in, yeah. in which it's not really about them being mice at all, but it's just right. a continued kind of visual metaphor. But it, it says something about the uh, vulnerability of the Jewish people. Mouse is, of course, a story about the, the Holocaust, if you've never heard of it. Boy, that's a great example, Father. Mouse is so much about hum- humanity, but you couldn't tell that story with... Yeah. The fact that they're mice makes that whole thing work. It, pr- it provides enough of a barrier that you can can hear the story. Yeah. We, we see ourselves in animals. When we see those aspects of ourselves reflected in animals, uh, we're either attracted or we're repelled. But... Um, People love dogs because dogs, in some uh, respect, reflect back to us some of the more noble characteristics of, of human beings. Their, their loyalty, their devotion, their affection, their playfulness. People recognize these things in dogs and, and, and they love them for it because they tell us something good about ourselves. I, I really do think that, that God created people to have a very close and special relationship with animals. I think this kind of uh, idea of domesticating animals and keeping them as pets, I I think that's part of the divine plan. I mean, you know, some people think that, like, a pet is at its most most itself when it's in the wild. But somewhere C.S. Lewis kind of said, you know, it's actually the opposite. Animals are most themselves when they come under the governance of, of, of human beings. They expand and, and they realize their the potential. And, and I, you know, I think you know, I think that's it's kind of reflected in you know another story, the Narnia stories, in which you know you have this world of talking animals, and, and they were they were made to be governed by the sons of Adam. And the daughters of Eve, you know, um, they're waiting for their masters to take the throne when all things will be put right again. You know, that's actually really the story of God's creation. You know, the animals and indeed all creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, it's right right out of Romans 8. And, you know, our uh, redemption and our glorification is actually theirs too because when we take our place in in in, in god's good creation they will take theirs under as, as 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 our servants as our companions when the biblical writers want to write about the restored creation they go to the animal kingdom you know they talk about the lion that lays down with the lamb you know, C.S. Lewis says somewhere like, you know, my dog and cat live under the same roof. They're not natural companions, but they almost get along under my guidance. And he says, you know, that's reflective of man's purpose and in, in, in creation over the animals. You know, I think when you look at the creation narrative in Genesis, there's a number of things that stand out in it. It's clear that we're given dominion over mm-hmm not only the animals, but over the entire world. And that's a reflection of God's dominion over us. I do think it's also interesting to kind of go back to what we were talking a few minutes ago about that, you know, when Adam is created, the animals are all there, but yet there was no meat helper for him, right? Apart from the human, from Eve. So kind of, you know, looking at the whole anthropomorphizing thing that we do and wanting to elevate animals and make animals kind of the companion, you know, to borrow the old expression, dog is a man's best friend, right? In some senses, that can't ever be true because only humans can really be the true companion that another human needs, and, oh, you know, a woman for a man and a man for a woman. But animals can still be companions in a certain way and i think but you're right in saying that they're not they're not equals right? Right. i mean and there needs to be in, in, in a certain respect for there to be friendship like the kind of friendship that we enjoy between people uh, mm-hmm. there needs to be a certain degree of equality i'm not my cat's friend i'm my cat's master yes and that's as it should be right yes 
And, you know, and, and, and people oftentimes say, like, oh, I love animals, but, you know, I, I more than most people. Well, you know, that's that's a problem. You know, animals... But, I mean, it's, pro- it's a problem not only with the person who feels that way, but because human beings are, you know, they shouldn't be jerks. <laughs> we, we shouldn't look to animals that only companionship with people can really fulfill i think that's a neurosis that a lot of people kind of fall into two two things real quick number one uh father matt if you think that you are the master of your cat and your cat is not the master of you you are sorely mistaken that's number one Number two, Father Kyle, you said something about needing help getting some meat, and uh, I would just like to invite you to come on down to Texas. We have plenty of meat here, and we, you can have first helping, second helping, as many helpings of meat as you want. I would be glad to. <laughs> I mean, that's another special relationship we have with <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Let me ask you, you guys this, because I'm sure you've had the question before, as, as I have, when somebody has just lost a pet or is about to lose a pet, there's no pastor that hasn't gotten this question of where's where's my pet going? Is my pet going to be in heaven? Uh, what you know? What's going to happen to them? How do you guys answer that question when you get it? Gosh, I don't know. I, uh, that's always a challenging thing, you know. I mean, so the one thing that I will say is that, and and Father Matt kind of. Um, pointed to this earlier you know we believe in the resurrection of the dead we profess that in the creed every time we say it it's a bodily resurrection and that means that we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth and in that new heaven and new earth i do and believe that there will be animals and that the animals will be of a very like nature to the animals that we now have except that there will be harmony between animals you know, as is alluded to in Isaiah. So I definitely believe animals will be present. I don't believe that animals have a soul in the way that human beings have a soul in the same sense. So I'm not entirely sure that I believe that, you know, individual animals will somehow that we've known from the past be there. But that's just where I stand. So you say, no, little girl, you'll never see... Fido again. He's pa- dead and gone. Well, pa- pastorally, I side in the place of saying, I believe they're in God's good hands. You know, they're with Jesus, and, and I leave it there. You know what? Here, This is an interesting question. You know, like I said, I think there's no doubt that in the restored creation, there will be mountains, hills, trees, rivers, and yes, animals. I think they have an important part play in creation and creation wouldn't be the same without them you know it would be less without the songs of the birds that being said now that's not what people are asking though people are asking about my dog fido what about him will i see him again now anecdotally one thing i find very interesting is that when you speak to someone on their deathbed in the last hours they always see their departed loved ones gathering around them. It's almost always the case, waiting for them on the other side. And almost always, I see my dog. Why? I mean, maybe it's an emotional thing, a projection. Perhaps, maybe it's some indication that there will that we will be reunited in some way. Someone much smarter than I am, C.S. Lewis, makes a kind of a case for this in The Problem of the, the problem of animal pain he deals with um, and, he, and then he asks, answers his question it's a very qualified answer because it, it, it's will like every mosquito that ever got swatted return <laughs> you know that, that's almost too absurd to, to contemplate but this idea of the relationship between the person and the pet that just as we kind of enjoy a a wider life being in Christ. C.S. Lewis speculates that the pet sort of participates in the life of its master, that the pet is in its Lord in a similar way that we are in our Lord, and that 
as part of the resurrection of, of, of our of our own existence that this might include the animals that have been particularly dear to us in, in this life. I think it's a beautiful idea. It's a comforting idea. I, I, I agree with Father Kyle. I want to say that animals have an immortal soul, rational soul, in the same way that people do. But I, I kind of like C.S. Lewis's kind of qualified answer to that. Well, whether or not animals have an immortal soul, we certainly think you, our listeners, have one. And even if you don't, you probably have a social media account. And so we would love for you to bark or tweet or uh, uh, meow at us with your thoughts about super pets, about animals in comics uh, and uh, their depiction and how they're drawn and anything else you want to tell us. You can go to facebook.com slash godandcomics or you can hit us up on Twitter. We are at God and Comics. But for now, we're going to move to our final segment, This or That. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody. Let's this or that. Huh? All right. First one tonight goes to, let's keep it on the same theme, and, and we'll give it to Father Matt. Snakes or mice? Oh, well, definitely Mice. I have a deep fear of snakes. Me too. I, I perfectly understand. And when the little girl comes up and says, what about, about my pet snake? I say, he's going to hell. <laughs> well, the is he does shove his food. That's right. <laughs> There's this video on YouTube that my kids keep watching. Um, and it's like, they, they just watch these, these sing-song, cartoon songs all the time. But there's this one that they've been watching the last month or so. And there's this song called, Where Did the Dinosaurs Go? And all the kids come out and they're like, where did the dinosaurs go? <laughs> and like, and the, the whole song, and like, at some point they're like, uh, a meteor came and blocked out the sun and they couldn't eat anymore. And then they had nothing to eat. And then you see this image of them all like dropping dead. <laughs> It's, like, so, like, weirdly violent. But anyway. I'll put a link to it on the show page so you all can enjoy it. (laughs) Jonathan, yours is dogs or cats? Dogs. Definitely dogs. I mean, you know, like, dogs are loyal and fun and cats are selfish, kind of schmucky creatures. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, have a loyal pet than a pet that is just waiting for me to die so they can (laughs) take over the place. Okay. I've had both, you know. Yes. Uh, Now, I will say barn cats are nice when we had barn cats because they live outside and they kill mice and that's fine. But... There you go. They've got a useful purpose, and they're not just staring at you in your house. That's right. Father Matt, Ace the Bat Hound or Crypto, Super Dog? I'm going to say Crypto, um, only because Crypto seems to have a more enduring place in the DC universe. Ace the Bat Hound is sort of, I don't know, um, he's appeared periodically. I'd rather see Superman with a pet than Batman. Jonathan, I know that you uh, enjoy female singers, and so your choice is Alanis Morissette or Tori Amos. Hmm. Interestingly enough, I saw them together in concert in the year 2000. I will go with Alanis Morissette solely on the grounds of live performance. She is, uh, I think, was a superior performer. All right, Father Matt, your choice is Iggy Pop, or David Bowie? David Bowie. Jonathan, your choice is Fruity Pebbles or Cocoa Krispies? You know, I don't know that I've ever had either one of those. Really? Yeah. Isn't that strange? I eat a that lot of cereal. Strange. Like, a lot of cereal. And I, I don't think I've ever had either one of those. I'm going to go with Lucky Charms. Uh, well, that's the prime choice. You You win there. Hunting or fishing? I've never hunted, and I've maybe fished once. 
I don't think I ever caught anything. You can tell I'm not from the country. Um, I don't think, you know, for all that I enjoy consuming a poor little deer. <laughs> uh, so fish I don't have a problem with. I mean, uh, yeah, so fishing. Okay. Good answer. Jonathan, your choice is, and this is a little TV-oriented theme, Webster or Arnold Drummond? <laughs> uh, Arnold, I think, has to be the uh, answer there. So the theme of this question is uh, small, precocious black children in the 80s adopted <laughs> by white families. Is that... That was the theme. Okay. Let's just get that out in the air. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with Arnold. All right. What you talking about, Willis? Gordon <laughs> Ramsay or Bobby Flay? Who the heck is Bobby Flay? You're like the only person in America who doesn't know Bobby Flay. He's a celebrity cook. He's a celebrity cook. He's, he's the head of the food I, network. I, I didn't know who he was either, if that makes sense. Really? No. Is he the guy with the soul patch that, like, and the, and the like... No, no, that's Guy Fieri. That's, that's Guy, guy Fieri. So who's, who's this guy? He's a uh, red-headed, um, sort of clean-cut... Is he stuff at Applebee's? <laughs> I don't think I don't I, 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 I like that Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, good eating that Applebee's. You know what I don't, what I don't get here. Like so, th- this whole area, the whole Houston area that I live in, is is just tremendous food options. Like there's a lot of cultures here, and so it's like you know amazing. Like like you can get really good, like authentic Mexican food, Korean food, Indian food. Like you know, like you've never had it. And yet, like, I see people all the time going through the drive-thru at Taco Bell. And I think to myself, why are you doing, like, I get why you'd be doing that if it was Philadelphia, right? Because, like, what the hell does it matter? You know, it's Philadelphia. But, like, go two steps further and you can have, like, homemade tacos in about the same amount of time. Anyway. You can't get the cheesy, crunchy gordita breakfast sandwich that's wrapped in a burrito. <laughs> well, <laughs> although in a Dorito, <laughs> <laughs> maybe the Taco Bell here is amazing. I don't know. I haven't actually tried I don't know. it. The Taco Bell makes me want to barf. <laughs> <laughs> I went through a big. Time I've ever eaten Taco Bell, I've immediately regretted it. Yeah. <laughs> I went through like a big Taco Bell phase, like towards the end of college, going into right, I guess the year before I went to seminary. And then like the first year I was in seminary, I went out with my roommate one night to get Taco Bell, like specifically to get Taco Bell. And we walked in and and the way it was laid out, you could actually see them making it. And the big bag of grossness that they squeeze out into the thing. And I've never eaten Taco Bell since then. I just, I saw it and I was like, I, I can't unsee that. One, one of my uh, parishioners is a former manager of a Taco Bell. And um, he has shared some stories about the things that go on there. And <laughs> yeah, it's been years since I've eaten. It's been 25 years since I've had any thing like that but uh that was enough to say never <laughs> wasn't there a story at one point about like some woman losing her finger in a taco bell uh oh. vat or something <laughs> oh goodness wouldn't surprise <laughs> me truthfully yeah sid barrett or david gilmore sid barrett i mean david gilmore is, is a great guitar player oh yes um, brought, uh, contributed a lot to pink floyd but um, Sid Barrett was a madcap genius. I mean, he was a real talent and, and kind of the founder of the band. Um, yeah. 
David Gilmore, like after Roger Waters left Pink Floyd, I'm not really into any of their stuff, like where where David Gilmore is taking the lead. Uh, yeah. Not a big fan. I mean, it's not terrible. It's not really great either. So, yeah, Dev definitely Sid Barrett. I agree with you. I love the first uh, two Pink Floyd albums quite a lot. In fact, I was listening to one of them tonight which is what generated the question. My two favorite Pink Floyd albums. <laughs> or no, I don't know about that. Depends when you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard, that's a hard thing to land on. I'd have, I'd have gone with Lorelei Gilmore, but that's just me. <laughs> the Gilmore girls. <laughs> All right. Jonathan, yours is Advent or Lent. Well, if we go Eastern, uh, they they refer to Advent as Nativity Lent. So um, do they really? Yeah, they do. I, I, you know, I don't know that I can pick one or the other. Really, I think Advent has a certain beauty to it that has to do with the fact that it's eschatological. It's looking to the the return of our Lord. On the one hand, on the other hand, I think Lent probably does more for my soul in terms of the the, the kind of cleaning <laughs> that takes place uh dur- during lent uh, i think is a lot more thorough and the preparation is is more powerful and in some ways i think the coming out of it is sweeter um because uh, uh the resurrection is such a big thing but also because there's not the same you know like you don't have the the damage of of uh, commercial Christmas uh, hanging around you throughout the whole time that you're trying to live into Lent. Um, I mean, I guess there you go to the store and there are Easter eggs and stuff, but it's not the same as the you know. Um, people aren't constantly like trying to play Easter hymns on the radio and right. get you to go out and you know buy your Easter basket before it's too late or whatever. It's, 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 right. there's, there's more, um, space for it. Um, and, uh, and more people come to church during Lent just statistically, which I also think interesting. is interesting. And for our last one tonight, a very topical one, because we like to be topical here at God and comics, hard currency or Bitcoin. I don't know what either of those two things are. You don't know what hard currency <laughs> is? Hard currency? <laughs> it's regular money. Oh, well, regular money. Well, that's all I got. And that is all for our show. You can read about, uh, find out more about some of the rad things we talked about on today's show if you go to the episode page on godandcomics.com. While you're there, you're welcome to give the show another listen or listen to some of our our past programming as well our show is subscribable through itunes and while you're on itunes if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and a review we would be very grateful for that It, it helps other people to find the podcast our theme music which you are hopefully banging your head to right now is by father paul wheatley who proudly tells anyone who will listen that all of his success in life is due to the fact that he's one-eighth orangutan. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. And we'll see you.
Man, I really want a cheeseburger now. I really want a, a nice, medium-rare bat-cow cheeseburger. <laughs>